all right, well, if the world falls apart and my job isn't there for me anymore, like, what do I actually want to do in the world? Like, what, you know, if, if I, if it came down to nothing else besides like, this is how you want to be of service to the world. This is what you want to bring into the world. Like, what would you do? And I'm still like testing that out in a lot of ways, but it's very much based on all the things we've been talking about. Yeah. You know, today it's like, that's like, that's what I love and how can I help to inspire people to do that too? Hey everyone, thanks again for tuning in. Today on the episode, we have a guest. It is Rachel Wiley. Rachel and I went to high school together and I haven't seen her for years. I don't know that we've really had a face-to-face conversation since maybe 2014 or so. Um, But we've been following each other on social media and... I've just been observing the things that she's been doing and she's been doing some really incredible things. So I decided to ask her to be on the show and we had just a great conversation. We covered a lot of really important topics, um, including community organization, the importance of community and the importance of food and how those two things bring people together. And, And we also talk a little bit about the use of somatic practices and the ways that that can aid in anxiety and disconnection and even improve your relationship with yourself and the earth around you. So it's just a really rich, lovely conversation and I hope you enjoy it. Um, I will say that at times the audio is a little wonky. I'm sure that everybody is been introduced to zoom thoroughly at this time and has become aware that it kind of sucks and so i'm sorry about the audio i tried to uh improve it as best as i can but i am not uh, proficient at editing audio at this point i'm getting i don't even think i'm getting better it's just a painful process for me so if anybody has any recommendations on uh, editing software or how to just make my life a little easier in that domain I'd love to hear from you um so anyways stay tuned to this lovely conversation with Rachel Wiley hopefully you gain some insight or some knowledge or just some inspiration about these subjects that are very important for the time that we live in right now and will continue to only grow in importance as we move forward as a country and as a collective. I wasn't totally sure what you were up to. Like I wasn't sure exactly what you were doing. I just was observing through Instagram. <laughs> and I was really excited because community is something that I I'm really trying to tie into the show, like mm-hmm. talking about intentional community. Um, so that's really cool that that's something that you really cherish and are all about. And I'd love to talk to you more about that. I, I've, you know, a lot of, it's interesting because like when I was first starting to write um, a, like a little bit of what I've been up to, I was kind of had this conflict of like the, the, what have I, what have I been up to in like my personal journey slash like the things that I've been kind of like cultivating from within that I want to bring to the community whatever communities I'm involved in versus like what am I like practically tangibly doing in my day-to-day life to like earn a living you know right and like what it always feels most important to me is like is those things that are coming from within um like you know the work that I end up doing outside to earn a living tends to reflect certain parts of those values as well. And they've all been building blocks to um, lead me to where, you know, I want to make a big impact. But I was curious how you got from, did you go to UC Santa Barbara? Is that right? UC Davis. UC Davis. Davis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was wondering how you got from your college education and living in California to where you're at now, what the steps from there to there were. 
Totally. Yeah, it's quite a quite a journey it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I graduated in 2014 from UC Davis with a degree in uh, community and regional development. So while I was there, I studied a lot of, you know, not just like community development work and the practical tools for doing it, but um, looking at systems that make up society and make up communities and the ways that they're good or bad for it. Um, but I always felt like there was a certain component missing for me that was like, I was like, okay, we're learning all these things, but like, how do we actually change those things that aren't working? Right. You know, that felt like it was really missing. And for me, the, the part that, especially in, in Davis, it's such an, an agricultural school that the food aspect I felt was not as highly talked about as I hoped. Yeah. Um, so after college, I actually moved to Hawaii for three months and was helping to develop a piece of land that a friend I met years and years before traveling abroad um, had purchased. And we were starting like the basic foundations of developing a food forest on the land. Um, yes. And that, that experience was like, it was the complete opposite of my life up to that point of, right. all right, I'm going to school, I'm gonna earn this degree and then I'm gonna get a job. <laughs> you know, when there was like a very defined track and all of a sudden I was like living the island life out of a truck with several people, you know, yeah. and like had no real structure to my days. Um, and that really um, shook up a lot of my preconceived notions of how to live in the world um, and what life can look like. Um, and after I decided to leave Hawaii, I moved to Santa Cruz where I have quite a community of people and was working on different farms, got involved with some, um, one of the farms also had a popsicle company. They were starting a farm direct organic fruit pop nice. company. So I was really involved with like product development, packaging, branding, kind of like I was like the operations manager of that thing and loved it. Like I, I love being involved at the beginning of, of projects. Yeah. Um, I've always, I kind of started to think of myself as a like creative midwife of like helping <laughs> to birth different projects, whether it's like a food business or like some other idea that somebody has. Well, you're um, only my second interviewee, so you are here yeah. now. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like I got really deep into food, like especially the local food community, farmers markets and like got to see how um, impactful food and access to good food is and coming together around food is for strengthening community and building bonds between people that otherwise may never interact. Yeah. Um, and so that really, that really stuck with me. And, and um, then like, I was there for almost two years um, and then decided to move to Santa Barbara with my partner at the time and was kind of trying to figure out how I could get involved and like find community there or create community there. Yeah. So I was working part time for a nonprofit organization in a small town that um, it wasn't super aligned with like the things I want to do in the world, but um, it taught me a lot about um, being of service. Um, and I also ended up through that job, um, made a connection with an amazing woman, Robin Elander, who's like, She's a community rock star um, and she recruited me to help coordinate different community events that um, were like an, another aspect of the power of bringing people together. Um, one of the events was bringing people together, um, was open streets event. So like bringing people together on the streets in their town that normally you can't walk in because there's cars, but all of a sudden you can rollerblade, you can bike, you can skateboard and like get people interacting in this space in a different way. Um, and then with another event that was, had a community arts workshop where people come together from all walks of life to create beautiful things together and then do a parade. And, mm -hmm. you know, to really see how, even if it's just one event, it can um, do so much to bring people together and have a really lasting impact on how people relate to a space and to the other people who inhabit it with them. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, moved to San Diego, was still doing some event stuff remotely, started working at a bakery um, to get a break from some of the coordinating stuff, you know. <laughs> um, but even then, it was still like another reminder of how powerful food is for bringing people together. 
So it was a local, tiny little locally owned shop in, in Mission Beach. Um, and throughout that whole time, like it's paralleled very much by my deeper exploration of like my personal healing and my um, really trying to figure out who I am and who I want to be in the world and how I want to be in relation to the world around mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. um, and that was very much catalyzed from that like shaking up that happened in Hawaii um, and then was it was kind of caught and and nourished through an organization called Honeyroot um, that's based in Nevada City. Um, I was involved with them for a number of years through their retreats, through teaching some things at retreats and helping with their online courses. Um, but they taught like through that group of women, I learned a lot of somatic practices for like being able to feel what is coming up, to be more aware of my sensory experience in the world instead of just a mental experience of being in the world. And through that, it kind of helped to usher me um, into a deeper relationship with nature and being able to pick up on and have a sensory interaction with the natural world around me and be able to, you know, have in a sense energetic conversations um, right. and to receive messages and wisdom from the natural world. So that all kind of was all going on at the same time. Um, and in San Diego, um, I had been with my partner for um, four years and just had the intuition that it was time for me to leave. Um, and I'd always been interested in Vermont. I'd always um, had Yes Tomorrow on my mind, which is where I'm currently working. It's a design build school in central Vermont. Um, and I applied for their kitchen internship, got accepted, and two months later moved out here. Um, <laughs> and like landed into again another beautiful example of, of community um, together around a common desire to learn and experience how to be more of more fully themselves in the world and of um, you know cooking full meals three times a day for 35 plus people by myself was really empowering to feel my ability to nourish large groups of people um, and to see like the, the joy that people get and the connections that are made when you break bread with people. Um, and, and here I am. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a journey. Yeah, it's crazy. That's, it's only been like six years. <laughs> that's awesome though. I mean, yeah, when you're like on that path of alignment, stuff just starts happening. Uh, mm -hmm. I've, been a personal witness to that so I know I know how it can be um but yeah that's amazing that is quite a journey and I I am really intrigued to hear how you have been able to channel that knowledge or branch that knowledge of your understanding of how important community is and the way that it impacts individuals and communities at large how you you know kind of put that knowledge into practice day to day because especially now like with the COVID situation I mean I'm a I'm a relatively reserved person I'm introverted and I still know that it always comes down to community you know health in all forms and yeah I'm also witnessing with a lot of the political upheaval and revolution happening right now like remembering oh yeah local government like local community that's kind of the answer so that's kind of a big question but I'm just curious what your thoughts are and like putting those uh ideas into practice on a just a small scale day-to-day -day. yeah that's it's, it's a big question especially with the world as it is right now um and it's one I've been thinking about a lot in the last couple of months and you know I throughout like my journey the last like five six years i've always kind of like been proud of myself like i can find or create community wherever i go like i always end up even if it wasn't a place i would have chosen 100 percent myself to move to like i was i'm still able to find people that i feel very connected with mm. um and that that i think um that was like something that i really held on to as like 
as like a, a truth of life of like, no matter where you go, you can find people that you'll connect with. And I don't think that is really a truth of life. I think I've just <laughs> been really lucky and I'm, I'm very aware of like the, you know, just even the privilege to be able to move to all these places and easily find work and easily find like-minded people, perhaps because of the places I've ended up choosing to live. Um, and I've also become more aware or kind of like I'm owning up to the fact that even while I feel like I've been really involved in community in the past, I haven't been as active of a participant as I could have been. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I feel that part of that is because in most of the places that I have lived, I haven't really wanted to live there for like, I haven't seen myself living there for an extended period of time. Like I never saw myself yeah. like, I want to like buy a house or like have a family and like settle down here. Like, I right. haven't felt that in most of the places that I've lived. Um, and so perhaps that was just my excuse for not getting more involved in like the local community right. as, in as intimately. Um, but in the last handful of months, like, I mean, when I first moved to Vermont, like three months in, I was like, yeah, I want to stay here for a while, you know, <laughs> it's just that in itself was a really interesting shift to notice and to notice how that changed how I felt about the place and about my place in it and, um, and how I interacted with the other people in the area. Mm -hmm. um, but with everything that's happening in the world right now with COVID and with the revolution that's going on, like. I felt like there's no more excuses, you know, like, like, and it, and, and then it doesn't have to be a hundred percent of how I spend my time either. Right. That's, that's something that I've been cultivating of like a, it's a marathon, not a not a sprint. And like, it's important you just keep training. And I'm, I'm kind of using that same approach with how I'm getting more involved in the local community in the Valley where I live in Vermont. Um, so at the beginning of COVID, um, a local lady was getting really involved with coordinating like COVID support for folks that didn't feel comfortable going to the grocery store who needed support in other ways, maybe to get medication or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then she expanded, her name's Jess Tompkins, she's awesome. She expanded and was like, well, you know, there's all this conversation about like food insecurity and like the fears of what's gonna yeah. happen if like systems really crumble. And so she um, had put out like a query to people of like, hey, would you be interested in like a victory garden? You mm -hmm. know, and like put a call out to see if someone would donate some of their land for us to host it on. And, um, and then she called me one day and was like, hey, do you wanna be part of this? Like, do you wanna help me do this? And I was like, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, like, mm -hmm. of course I wanna be involved in that. Like food and community, that's really important to me. Like. Right. food justice, food equity, food security, like food, food, food. That's like what I care about, you know, in the ways that it can support and nourish a community and a yeah. region. Yeah. Um, and uh, after I said yes, I was like, oh God, do I have time for it? Right. And I was like, I can, I can make the time for it. Like it's, yeah. it's not a job. It's not a 40 hour a week, a 20 hour a week job. It's like a three hours a week, maybe right. four of, of, my energy and like yes this is worth me putting my energy into this um and and kind of like like it's been a shift for me to like also recognize i don't have to be 100 percent in something you know like there's such a externally motivated pressure yeah. um to like be all in and be all for this and all for that and all for the other thing, but like also don't forget to take care of yourself. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. Um, and that's really been on my mind, especially once once all of the protests started happening, once like this this the revolution was beginning and these conversations were being had. Um, like I had gone to a community meeting a while ago that was led by local high schoolers. That was a conversation mm -hmm. on diversity or the lack of in our community in Vermont. And um, there was someone there who mentioned that they were involved with a local um, anti-racism initiative. Mm -hmm. And I had forgotten about it. And then when everything started happening, I was like, wait, this is, this is a local group that 
I haven't heard from in a little bit and I, I haven't been a part of, but I feel like this is important for me to be a part of. So I put a, a call out um, on Front Porch Forum, which is like the Vermont, like kind of community messaging board mm -hmm. um, that does a lot for rural communities to be together um, and sharing information, sharing resources. And like now I'm part of the coordinating team for that group. That's um, awesome. Which, yeah, it's like, it feels That's really so cool. great. And like, like it felt like, oh, I should like, why am I in this role? Like, what is it right. about me? Like, am I qualified? I haven't been really doing this work for that long. Like, come on, Rachel, really? And like, I just had to brush that away and be like, no, this is like, I'm, I'm doing this for myself, but I'm also doing it because like, it's imp I think that this community needs this, this group of people and this conversation to be more visible. Yeah. Um, and I feel like because the other organizers there, oh my gosh, they're so amazing. I'm learning so much from them. Um, but they're not really that into technology. And like, I'd prefer gotcha. not to be on technology all the time. But yeah. It's a, a service that I can offer of helping to you know, I'm, I'm a connector in so many ways and I'm realizing it can be as simple as helping like with making posts and like recruiting people and just like making it be more known as a, a thing that's happening that people can join in on the conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, it's like for that group, it's like an hour a week, right? maybe two. And it's, you know, I, I, I guess like for me, it's always been like, I don't have the time. I like, it's not, it just wasn't a time priority or I thought it was going to take more time than I had. Mm -hmm. And so I would tell myself like, I will, you know, I'll attend that online webinar or I'll do that. But without like, without being personally invested in it, I have recognized I'm less likely to stick with something. And yeah, so yeah. I've kind of made the effort in like this year to, to put my energy where I want to grow and mm -hmm. where I want to see my community grow as well. Um, yeah. So that I'm actually walking the talk in a lot yeah. of ways, yeah. even if it's uncomfortable and even if I mess up and even if I don't really know what I'm doing, like, like I'm trying to embody what it means to be on that path and like, be okay with people seeing me mess up and yeah, try and normalize yeah. that. Um, and I think that's kind of the piece that has been helping me to stick with it and like have a little bit more compassion for myself too. Of like, this yeah. is just hard times, Yeah, you know, like <clears throat> it's going to be uncomfortable. It's not going to stop being uncomfortable. So get, get comfortable with discomfort. There's so many things that I want to touch on that you said. It's just like, oh my gosh, the victory garden thing, especially is something that I love that you brought up. There's this weird thing of like not wanting to make people uncomfortable right now, mm -hmm. like wanting to offer and extend an offer without pushing boundaries because so many people are like afraid of everybody else. And so it's, it's this really weird time we're in because right now more than ever community and food security like you mentioned they're so crucial right now but i think that there's this weird uh energy current at play where people are also really fear driven mm -hmm. and that's making people separate even further mm -hmm. and I, I'm curious what your, I think Vermont is maybe its own animal a little bit. Totally. It feels like there's not a lot of actual coming together in the communities. Mm. That's a weird barrier to cross. Um, yeah. So I'm just curious what your experience has been so far, like doing these victory gardens for people that you don't know and what the feedback has been. <laughs> um yeah, it's been, it's been good. And like, there's actually a, now a network growing of Victory Gardens throughout the state of Vermont. Um, and even within our community and our region, there's, I think, some people that are 
doing victory gardens like on like homeowners lands and stuff like that but the, do you want to just quickly uh let people know what a victory garden in is because i yes. realized we didn't say that <laughs> <laughs> um so victory gardens started like during the war time of like we need to be able to like produce food because Otherwise, what are we going to do? We're all going to die. <laughs> you know? And like, it was kind of a patriotic thing of like supporting your country, supporting your communities by growing food wherever you can grow food. Um, and I actually just listened to a podcast that talked about, they were exploring like, why did the Victory Garden, why did Victory Gardens falter? Um, you know, like after, after wartime was over and um, the, the, I can't remember the, what the name of the podcast was, but they were like, it's, it's because it's a lot of work. It's hard work to grow food. And they were burnt out, you know? <laughs> and, and also they were ready for a break. And so when, you know, frozen food and canned food and prepared food was available, they were like, yeah, I'd much rather just get that than labor in the yard forever. Right. Um, it was like the Victory Garden is a way of like, growing food for your community so that if something happens that you can succeed and be okay and survive. Right. Um, and, and, you know, it's also for me at least like a way to, um, to bring people together. Like the one person in our community that's kind of tending several different plots um, at other people on other people's property where they don't necessarily want to put the energy into it, but would be happy to offer their space. Mm -hmm. um, like, I think that's like a really cool way to do it and something I'm interested to learn more about. Um, the Victory Garden that I'm involved in um, with Jess is, um, it's like, a, it's one garden that um, George from LaRue Farms, which is right down the road, it's the home of American flatbreads, really great pizza. <laughs> <laughs> but they have this beautiful farm and he donated um, like quite a large plot of uh, garden space for us to use for the Victory Garden. And he has like a community garden space as well that has I think 13 or 14 different like plots that people are growing on just within the community for themselves. Um, but we have like 250 feet worth of, um, of rows that we've planted. Um, all of the starts were donated from people in the community or seeds that were donated from um, local seed companies. We had 14 people at our first meeting and we were in a very large circle with a six foot distance between all of us and yelling to introduce ourselves, you know, but everybody was like, everybody showed up, you know? Nice. Um, and part of the vision for this particular space, because like, because that farm is also a community gathering place, like it has the restaurant and it has an inn and it has like a pavilion space where people host events um, and like educational workshops and stuff like that. And there's mountain biking and hiking trails that connect from the parking lot. And so a lot of people, um, and there's a great swimming hole across the street too. <laughs> but people really, like it is a community gathering space as it is, it's not just a farm. And so um, part of the goal is with the produce that we grow, um, we're gonna build a, farm stand that's pay what you can, um, right? Like easily accessible for people that are coming through and might want to harvest, like might need some produce that they maybe can't afford at the store right now. Um, but also have a partnership with the local food shelf. Um, and I'm going to be, I'm on the advisory board for trying to figure out how to rebrand the food shelf so that people actually take advantage of that resource. Because um, I, I feel like there can be a stigma against going to a food shelf or a food pantry and, mm -hmm. you know, or that, or that there's just a stigma that it's going to be a bunch of like canned SpaghettiOs, you know, right. but especially in Vermont where there's such a strong like food community and farming community, like there's fresh produce that was grown right down the road, you know, um, yeah. that is available and that people maybe are not accessing or don't think that they could access it um, and so it go, a lot of it goes to waste and so trying to kind of tie in the victory garden with the food shelf with a pay what you can farm stand and also have like educational workshops like 
um, until there is a thunder and lightning storm today, we are going to have a whole afternoon talk on pests and disease in plants. So we're also like a space where we're training people how to grow food for themselves. Um, I think the split at the first meeting um, of like, like 14 people that showed up, there was, you know, we have two master gardeners that are in our community that have been really involved in it. And then five others maybe have had gardens, small gardens in the past, but the vast majority are like, I kind of keep some houseplants alive, you know, yeah. um, but they just want to learn. And so creating a space where people who want to learn can learn from those who have the knowledge um, that feels like a really, that, that for me is something that feels really important, not just the growing of the food, but the empowering people yeah. to grow food on their own as well, mm -hmm. while providing the service to the wider community. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't remember what the question was or if I answered it. <laughs> I think you answered it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you answered it. I was just uh, curious about how it's been going because yeah. we had that idea a few months ago and we just don't, we have only lived here for a year, so we don't know a ton of people and we were just kind of like, mm -hmm. mm, I don't know if that's going to work, but you're super inspiring me right now. <laughs> so maybe still, um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, that's, that's awesome that that's happening. I'm really inspired to hear that things like that are happening, at least in some places in the country right now. Um, I think that you're so right about not just having local access to local food, but teaching and empowering people to, it's like literally taking their power back in a lot of ways, you know, by giving them the ability and the resources to grow their own food. So they're not so reliant on these systems that mm -hmm. aren't working right now and <laughs> could very much collapse at one time or another. So it's really crucial. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about, you've talked about the connection between food and community and it's kind of something that seems really obvious, I think, but also gets really taken for granted. And I just love to hear more about your experience with tying the two together and how you have, what you feel like the impact has been from those two pieces coming together in this really magical way to empower people and make connections and build relationships. Because um, it's, you're right, it's like, you know, eating is kind of inherently a community driven thing like it's but i think for more and more people it's becoming not like it's mm -hmm. and right now especially during these times it's very much not and so i i'd love to hear just your experience with that and any opinions you have um well one thing that just popped into my head um that's very much specific to these times is like, you know, there's at the very beginning of COVID, it's like everybody was making sourdough. Everybody was making yeah. banana bread. Everybody was baking everything on every food blog that ever existed. You know? um, and like I, this is kind of like a weird tangent, but I've been having a lot of conversations with people about social media um, and how to find balance with that and how to use it as a tool, but not... You, like not have it be a crutch that is really impeding from your ability to like live a beautiful and present life. Right. Um, but I've, it's been really interesting how I feel, especially since COVID started that um, through, cause I tend to post like yummy things that I make and like all the bread that I'm baking. And like, I've had friends that maybe I haven't talked to in a couple of years reach out and be like, hey, I'm having some trouble with my sourdough. Do you have any suggestions? <laughs> and like, you know, and then we, I like talk to them about what they've been doing and be like, oh, maybe try this. And then they're like, oh, it worked out and sent me a picture of like this beautiful loaf they made, you know? Yeah. And so like, it's, it's interesting how even in this time where we can't go out to eat with friends and even sometimes having a picnic outside can feel weird um that there still is like community through food even through social media um which is really um it's interesting to me yeah. to notice that um but 
I think with pre-COVID times, <laughs> um, I've, I've seen um, people from different life experiences, from um, coming from lifestyles and um, lives that have been very wealthy monetarily and that maybe did not need to grow their food. Because that that's something that really struck me in college too, is like, like the, when lawns became a thing, right. it was in England to like the, the like aristocracy would have big lawns to show, we have so much money, we don't need to use this land to grow food. You know, <laughs> like it's so crazy to me. Like lawns were created to show a level of success and wealth. Um, and as like a kind of brushing away of producing food and growing food and tending the land and having a deep relationship with the land as less than and as unworthy of um, being a success or whatever. Yeah. And that's something that I, I feel is shifting now because people are beginning to realize like, oh, this is, this is not true. We are so dependent and really quite poor in certain senses of the word if we are not able to take care of our, our hunger. <laughs> and I mean, we, I could go on a whole tangent on like food apartheid and food deserts, but that maybe is a different time. <laughs> but, um, you know, like, like holidays and different occasions are marked by breaking bread with people. And now we are, many of us are breaking bread alone. And um, I think in the times of COVID, it's like, but it is safer to spend time outside with people. And so we can participate in the, um, in, with food as a focus on a different end of it, of being in nature, working with the land, um, and having the community connection starting with the roots, really, of the food and the foundation of, of um, providing for each other. Um, and, you know, on a more like energetic level, um, we're all being traumatized in some way by this current experience of living in this world right now. Um, whether it's like very blatant or very subtle, like we are all, this is a very traumatic time. And there is so much healing to be had by entering into relationship with the earth and with plants and with the environment around you. And I think that there are some people who came into the victory garden that I'm a part of that were seeking connection um, mm -hmm. and also to learn how to grow food, but like really seeking connection of like, like I want to know who I'm sharing this community, who, I, who I'm in this community with. Right. And I want to know more about how I can support this community because like maybe they moved in December and then everything shut down. Right. You know, but I, I really believe that a lot of healing comes both as an individual and through that individual healing for the community. It's, it starts with connection, um, you know, with each other, with your landscape, with the food that you're growing or that you're eating. Um, and just knowing that it was tended by someone who cares. Um, yeah. That's very important to me, at least. Um, and so, I, yeah, I think like the, the food and community connection has, has shifted from breaking of bread to growing of the ingredients to make bread, <laughs> you know? Um, and that, that's, an, that's a weird, it's a weird place to be because it's un, it's new for so many people. And, and that's why I think it's really important and beautiful to have the opportunity to learn and to share knowledge um, because then that empowers and strengthens the community um, even more than maybe might, it might not have happened, you know, if COVID never happened. Um, and if there wasn't all this uncertainty and upheaval in our lives, um, you know, maybe I would have never met those 14 people that showed up for the victory garden, you know? <laughs> um, and, and they're all very like inspiring, beautiful people. Um, so I, yeah, I think that there's, um, 
a much needed shift towards um, also kind of reclaiming community space. Um, like I like when you were talking about where you are in Washington and feeling like like there's not there's a lot of homebodies and not a lot of like community happening. Mm -hmm. One of the first things that popped to my head was like, well, is there any like public park space or any like space where it is feasible to gather? Because maybe that's a place to start. Like maybe if the town or city is willing to like have a plot, have a corner of that be turned into a garden that is visible to people that maybe then draws them in, you know, like maybe that's something that could create more of a, a space for a community to gather. Um, yeah, it's, you are saying so many beautiful things. Um, it's actually really sad in Vancouver. We had a huge community garden and they just didn't do it this year because of COVID-19. So I don't know if they decided to ultimately start it up again when things started reopening, but probably not. It's probably a little late in the season, I'm guessing, but I just recorded my episode on ancestral healing because that's a topic that I'm super passionate about. And I think food is one of those things that carries so much weight for people in their memory and their understanding of the way the world works a lot of trauma you know it's like one of those things that has always been at the center of course of humanity and so with it there's like a lot of association and in our human history we've gone through so many different experiences whether it's famines or abundances of food or like the world that we're living in now where everything is packaged and sealed and put in a store and then we buy it and take it home and eat it. Um, it's just crazy. The, the relationship that we've had collectively with food. And I really do believe that remembering certain uh, ways of being that our ancestors had in like in the case of the earth and food and growing our own food and things like this, because it's been so lost and so forgotten for so long for most people that I think that what's kind of replaced it is just like trauma or uh, just really bad associations. You created at Honey Root, like a new understanding of somatic uh, therapy and things like that. I was curious if you have any associations between the two with like food and yeah, if you wanted to talk a little yeah. bit on that. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I think that there is so, so much a connection um, on so many levels, really. Like one thing that came to mind was like just the energetics of food. Um, like I've had some experiences where, um, especially when I was like really deep in my practice of different somatic things, like where I became very sensitive to what I was eating. Um, and I, it wasn't, I, I don't think it was necessarily like I wasn't having any digestive or like other physical symptoms, but like the energetic experience mm -hmm. of eating different foods, I was, I could kind of like food from my garden felt different in my body than food from a store that was organic versus food from a store that wasn't organic. Um, or, you know, like I, in my kitchen internship at Yestermara, when I first moved to Vermont, I'd always write the menu on the board and then write like made with love because mm -hmm. like you can, you can feel when food is made with love and when it's not, yeah, you know? Um, and so like somatics, like my, my, the energetic and sensory experience of the world, um, if you practice different somatic therapies, like you naturally become more attuned to the subtle energies that we are constantly in contact with. Um, just being on this planet with so many, so many forms of life um, and energy around us. Yeah. And um, yeah, so like that, that's like a big piece for me of just the, the energetic exchange um, either like between the person and the plant who's growing the food and then the person who is then preparing the food and then the person who is then 
consuming the food. Um, that like that if that whole supply chain is like infused with care and respect and love yeah. for the eventual consumer or and the planet and the plant itself, like that's going to be more nourishing on an energetic right. level right. than food that was you know, just like, uh, you don't know how to grow, right? So I'm going to pump you full of a bunch of chemicals so that you grow better. You know, <laughs> it's yeah, like, what right. kind of a message is that sending the people eating that food? Right. You know, right. it's saying like that energetic message of like, you don't know how to grow, right? We're going to, you need to do all these things to do better. Like there's a part of me that feels like that gets translated down and is part of how trauma is then received really um or incorporated into a body it's through the food that we eat even in very subtle ways um and uh it's like an, another a different not not so energetic and <laughs> um not in such an energy side of it i also feel like um just the act of putting your fingers or your toes in the earth um, there's such an exchange there, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's a knowing, um, of our bodies. Like, like whenever I'm feeling anxious, I'm really good at like trying to figure out why I'm anxious. Right. And driving myself slightly crazy. I think a lot of people, especially these days are getting really good at that, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but I like, if I catch myself doing that, I'm like, okay, Rachel, just like, get outside and, you know, maybe spend five minutes weeding the garden or just like take your shoes off and go on a five minute walk. And, and especially I've noticed when I'm in the garden and like, like just the other day I was having a weird day and I went and weeded the entire blueberry patch and was like, wow, like within two seconds, like first two weeds I pulled up, I immediately had dropped into my body mm -hmm. and like, like out of my mind and was just in that, like I was just in relationship with the action that I was doing on this, this piece of land with these plants that I was tending. Right. Um, and that is such a nourishing experience that a lot of people never get to, never get to experience in their lives, maybe because they were never shown and they were never exposed to it. They never, ever considered that it would be something that they could do, even living in a city, um, you know, but I, I've been following some different organizations that are doing a lot for urban agriculture that I think is like amazing, yeah. you know, yeah. of, of really um, empowering people to like bring that connection to nature into a city um, instead of, I feel, especially living in Vermont, I feel like there is a, a we're kind of witness to like the city escapism where they're like, I don't, I can't handle the city right now. Like I'm going to go on vacation and like retreat to like the rural countryside to get my nature fixed and then go back to the city and like do the rat race thing again. And it's like, can't we find a way to like bring nature there, you know, right. not so that they stay. I mean, like during COVID, we kind of want them to stay away, but, <laughs> um, you know, but like, like I, I, I dream of a world where there is um uh where everybody in every place has that relationship with nature right in their backyard or their doorstep or their windowsill. Um yeah. that that's where um you know just the, the tending of plants um is such a nourishing thing. Um you know, I I saw something a video the other day of a guy who did an experiment where he had three plants growing and every day he would um to one of the plants he would say like i love you you're doing so great and then the next plant he would say like you're a piece of shit what are you doing you know <laughs> and then the next one <laughs> he would just ignore like mm -hmm. absolutely ignore and the one that he ignored actually died faster than the one that he wow. said really mean things to and then of course the one that he said very nice things to flourished and wow. and that has got me that got me thinking in a lot of ways of the importance of like reclaiming land that's been abandoned whether yeah. or not we make it quote unquote productive you know but like i've been finding a lot of joy of like 
going into sections of the woods here that not many people visit and just being there. Um, and like, you know, like walking up old logging roads that are like, oh, we have trees growing in them now, you know? Um, and just like being present with land that maybe once was not treated in a very good way um that is now like kind of rebuilding itself but to like be present with that land and like kind of you know in my own way whisper like you're doing a great job <laughs> you yeah. know like i love yeah. you <laughs> yeah. um yeah i yeah it's there's just so much nourishment that comes from having a connection to the environment even if you don't have access to like nature and like in full glory and unending green hillsides or anything like that like it's still possible to nourish that connection just through tending tending plants in your in your life i think people really underestimate it mm -hmm. i think people really really underestimate the power of that connection and and not just what we get out of it but what the earth gets out of it like you were saying with land that's been abandoned or neglected or mistreated it's really like mistreating our mother or being abandoned by our mother things like this it's it's such a profound impact on the way that we view the world the way that we feel in the world and that thing that you mentioned about kind of being outside of your body which i think is kind of what anxiety is right yeah. It's kind of just like levitating, right? It's yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not really here. What's going on? Um, I was going to ask you if you grew up with parents that were really like outdoorsy and mm -hmm. family that was really outdoorsy because I kind of spent pretty much the first half of my life thus far outside of my body. And I didn't have parents that were, they would never went outside. They would never. Yeah. <laughs> anything outdoors and um I think the first time that I really felt grounded was the first time I gardened so mm -hmm. I was just curious that's beautiful <laughs> that's really beautiful um yeah I not really I mean yes and no um like we did have a garden growing up that my dad tended and my mom tended a little bit too um but it was kind of like a side note and mm -hmm. And there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of time as a family outside. Um, like we didn't really go hiking or camping or like you know really do any outdoor activities together, um, except for sometimes you know like we went on like one camping trip maybe two or go yeah. on vacation to the redwoods and go on a little hike, but. Um, I actually felt really like insecure being in nature um, in some ways, like unless it was just my backyard, like I was able to, you know, as a kid, my parents both worked a lot. And so like after school, if I finished my homework, I could go and run around and do whatever I wanted in the neighborhood. Um, and I could run out the backyard down the hill and go to the river. Um, and so like I had this very, very like small, safe place in nature where I, that's where I really began to develop my relationship with, with nature, um, was, you know, with friends or even just by myself down the river, like trying to catch tadpoles and like trying to skip rocks and, mm -hmm. um, you know, digging in the sand until the water was there and, you know, the things that kids will do. Um, but I only really felt safe in that space. Like I didn't feel safe to explore other areas um even as i grew a little bit older um and had more like physical autonomy to go to other places like there was still a big part of me that um felt like i didn't know enough or i wouldn't mm -hmm. yeah, get lost and like i didn't have confidence because it was something that wasn't ever taught to me that i was trying to figure out myself from a young age um and it's been quite um quite an interesting part of my journey as well to become more confident in my ability to be in nature and be safe. Mm -hmm. 
And I've, I've really feel like I've stepped into that um, in a new way since moving to Vermont because um, before anytime I went on adventures and stuff, it tended to be with friends or with my partner at the time. And, you know, it wasn't often that I would like even really go hiking alone, except for maybe in, you know, in Garland Park back home, but like, where that was became another safe place to me. But um, since coming out here, especially during COVID, I leaned so heavily into like spending time alone in nature because then I didn't feel alone. Right. Um, you know, it, it became like, I've, I've cultivated a sense of, of safety among the, among trees and among owls and even bobcats and like, you know, <laughs> and just like, and I think a big part of that safety comes from having like through my somatic practices developed a sense of like safety within my body mm -hmm. um, and a trust in my intuition to receive the messages from my environment if I need to turn back or right. if I need to, you know, maybe change my behavior and give a little space to that creature that's looking at me with uh, gleaming eyes, you know? <laughs> I've had some very interesting encounters with podcasts. Um, I'll just say that. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think that's like a big, a big part for me is also like through somatics, through spending time outside in nature, especially in solitude, um, it's a much different experience than like going on a hike with a friend. Um, yeah. it's, it's impossible to not drop into yourself when you are alone in nature. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like that has been probably one of the most nourishing things to me um, throughout the last handful of years is really cultivating that. Um, and that I don't think it would have come as easily without, without like, getting to understand how emotions and energies feel in my body and to listen to those and be able to act from that knowledge that they're giving me or that insight that it's giving me. Um, otherwise I, you know, I might not ever feel safe ever, no matter where right. I am or who I'm around. And sometimes I still don't, but that's right. natural and okay. Um, and yeah, I think there's also something I've been thinking a lot about like the outdoor industry mm -hmm. and how it's such a gear driven thing. And I was like, did that, I, I wonder how that, I, it's not a full, full comprehensive thought yet, but I wonder how, um, like how people that are very gear oriented with their outdoor activities would feel being alone with just a bottle of water in a forest, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, and part of it too, like foraging and getting to know the plants, um, getting to know the animals that I'm sharing a space with, yeah. um, that in many ways I'm a guest to their space. Um, right. It's not mine, <laughs> you know, it's ours. And um, the, the, the we that I represent as a human being hasn't always been so kind. Um, and so I, I feel like through, um, like there's, there's an honoring that happens through taking the time to like actually pay attention and actually get to know the plants and the animals and the fungi and the way the wind blows from which direction and what season and how that impacts the landscape. Um, you know, like there's, there's like a, an honoring in that. Of, it's like, you know, like listening to your mother um, and <laughs> just paying attention, um, which is such a theme in the world right now of, it's time to listen, it's time to pay attention, it's time to take action based on what you're hearing. Yeah. Um, and that, that informs my time in nature, but especially now it's also informing the ways that I'm showing up for myself and for like, and within my communities as we have hard conversations, um, you know, and just remembering to listen and like to just try and practice dropping into my body um, consistently every day, even yeah. when it, and it doesn't happen every day. <laughs> I want to make that yeah. clear. It does not happen every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to remember to do. I, I was noticing that I was having some anxiety today too. And it was like the first day that I hadn't taken time to just ground myself and meditate for the first time in like several weeks. And I was like, Oh, 
<laughs> like I'm like doing the same thing that you talked about where I'm like trying to figure out why I'm anxious. <laughs> yeah. Racking my brain and it's like there's nothing happened. I'm just not taking care of myself. Like, yeah. <laughs> it is. Um I know it could be so simple, right? One thing that I wanted to quickly touch on, something that you mentioned when you're talking about becoming familiar again with the language of the earth. Mm -hmm. I, again, I feel like that's, it's just such a, it's something that is naturally inherent in human beings, right? Mm -hmm. But it's been so long forgotten and mm -hmm. ignored and suppressed. And in a lot of ways, I think that that was at the hands of colonialism and, oh, yeah. you know, by taking indigenous people's languages and names and you know, they were essentially telling them to forget. And in a lot of ways, I think that that's happened collectively all over the world. And it's just such a beautiful idea of like getting back to that place of just taking time to go back to the woods by yourself and just listen and see what you feel and see what comes up. And I think there's a lot of insecurity, like you're saying, I think there's a lot of fear and insecurity. I know that I for sure used to feel insecure about going hiking or camping because I didn't have the right gear, you know, mm -hmm. like such a uh, image driven industry, especially, I don't know if this is true for everywhere, but especially in California. Um, and I, I used to feel just ill-equipped and not enough, you know, mm -hmm. to be able to participate. And it's really so simple, you know, you don't need anything with you. <laughs> yeah, our, our bodies were built to, and our, the knowledge we've gained through our ancestors and through out his, human history, um, we know, you know, like our bodies know how to live with a landscape instead of on a landscape. And um, something that I've really appreciated about moving to Vermont is that there's um, there's such a, a culture of like learning how to build things, learning how to like, there's, there's a need to know how to survive here because the winters can be rough. Um, and I think through that, I've, I've seen really beautiful examples of community coming together, um, and people helping each other that you know, like in California, someone would have just driven, everybody would have driven by, but in Vermont, like three people stop and be like, you need anything? Like, need mm -hmm. help? You good? Need me to call a tow truck? You know, and uh, like that, it seems to be like the infused in the culture of this area um, is like kind of the good Samaritan thing of like, doesn't matter who you are, if you need help, I'm going to see if there's anything I can do. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also, I've been able to connect with a lot of people and I'm continuously trying to like stretch myself more into this community of people who are really practicing survival skills and wilderness skills and, um, you know, learning, like just knowing how to make fire without uh, matches or a lighter and knowing how to build a shelter with bark and leaves and broken branches in the forest and um, knowing how to collect water, knowing how to identify food of like, in some ways I feel like gardening can be for a lot of people, like the gateway back to relationship with a, a more wild landscape. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know it has been for me in a lot of ways, but, um, I find that that kind of that degree of entering into a relationship with the land really inspiring um and it's something that i have often felt like oh i'm not i'm not going to be welcome in those circles or i'm not i don't know anything so like how am i ever going to do that but um but it, that's like we learn through person to person uh conversations we learn through um being shown how to do something by someone who knows. And um, I feel like it's a strange side effect of society as we currently have known it, um, that it's not okay to not know how to do something. And it's not okay to ask someone for help or for guidance and that um, you need to figure out how to do it yourself. 
you know, that's something that I've, I've struggled with throughout my life of feeling like I have to do this alone, but gosh, I just want to do it with people, you yeah. know, and like, like that's, that's also been quite a big piece in my um, exploration of what community means and what that looks like and what kind of a community I want to be involved in. And it's, um, I've kind of realized that in a lot of ways it comes from just like, like taking that risk that someone's going to say, no, I'm yeah. not going to show you how to do that, you know, or no, like, you know, you don't know how, come on, that's crazy. You know, like, what are you, you know, who are you? It's like that, that fear of being rejected or that fear of just being flat out told like, no, you're not, you're not worth my time really. You know, that all goes to like some deep wounds in our society that many of us are <laughs> moving through the world with that we need to heal. But um, pushing through that to just ask, be like, Hey, you know, even like the, the folks I mentioned earlier who were like, Hey, like, how do you, what, what are you doing with your sourdough? Mine's turning out weird. You know, it's like, that can be a scary thing even to like ask for help in that way. And, um, I've noticed that as I've pushed that discomfort for myself, um, and become more comfortable with just like, like asking questions of the people that are doing things I want to learn, um, that it's opened up a whole new realm of connection and of community and of um, knowledge and skill building for myself too, that, uh, you know, otherwise I would have continued to be in a very small bubble that was fear driven in a lot of ways of not wanting to stretch because I didn't want to, you know, receive a negative response. Right. Um, and and usually it's not a negative response. <laughs> you know, usually people are like honored and inspired, kind of like I'm really honored and inspired that you wanted me on your podcast. I'm like, wait, me? Really? But people like really walking the talk that I know, you know, like I feel like I know of a lot of people that are really inspired by these ideas and want to like talk about them, but aren't necessarily putting them into practice. And so you're one of those people that I know that are. And so it was easy. Um, That's really sweet. And it's funny because like, I often don't feel like I'm walking the talk, you know? <laughs> which is just like the human condition in a weird way. I think of like, I'm never doing enough, but right. um, I'm, I've been working on shifting that. So thank you for reminding me that like, <laughs> yeah, it's still a journey, but you're walking the talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in once again to Remembering. I am your host, Phoebe Shabram. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at remembering.podcast. I post there about updates on the episodes and as well as updates on the Etsy shop. So go ahead and follow us there. And if you really enjoyed today's episode, share it with some friends that you think might be interested. Um, I really you know, this is just a passion project of mine and I'm just hoping to bring more and more people on the show and have more and more conversations like these because I think it's really important right now and I just genuine, genuinely enjoy doing so. So thanks so much. I hope you guys are happy, healthy, and finding community in whatever way or capacity you can right now. And I'll see you guys on the next episode.